and receive their food. Now, today, we are getting into, um, this is now our ninth week in our Luke series, and we decided to spend a lot of time, four weeks actually, in Luke chapter 15, looking at, at, at Christ's most famous parable, and you might know it as the prodigal son story. I re- prefer to call it the story of the two lost sons. And we've been looking at that. Megan started off, I did it a week last week, and I talked about the older son last week, and today we're spending another look, looking at the older son even more deeply. The summary of the story goes like this. The younger son asks his father for an inheritance, and the father gives it to him, but he goes and wastes it and spends frivolously on his sin. Then he comes to his senses, and he returns home, and the father welcomes him back by throwing him this big welcome home party. Meanwhile, the older son gets really angry about that, and he stands outside the party throwing a pity party for himself, and he's pouting outside of this welcome home feast, and the story ends by, with the father inviting the older son into this party for the younger son. Now, why does Jesus tell this story? Well, he tells it because he has Pharisees, these are the older son types sitting there, and they're angry that Jesus is receiving people that are, you might call them the, the outward sinners or the obvious sinners, the tax collectors of that day, the younger son types, and they're angry about the grace and compassion Jesus shows towards those types of people. And so he tells the story to hopefully bring about conviction to the, the Pharisees, the older son types. Now, last week, I said that generally our personalities lean in one of these two directions, like the, the older son or the younger son type, the rule breaker type, or the rule follower type, the, the older son type personality. Now, listen, I don't mean to oversimplify because it is possible to flip from one mindset to the other. And sometimes what can happen is the, if someone's been living like an older son most of their life for the most part, they can flip and become more like the younger son because they feel like they, they just can't do it anymore. Or, or they're tired of that system. And so they decide to try out the other system, a life of rebellion, at least obvious rebellion. And they might think, you know, I've kind of earned the right to live this way for a while. I've never really experienced life. I want to experience the fullness of life. And so they decide to live like the younger son for a while, possibly. But also what could happen is sometimes younger sons can become like the older son. Maybe you have parents that, from your perspective right now, they just seem really, really conservative and, and really rule-based. And you think to yourself, why, why, why are they so conservative? Why are they so you know, strict with me about rules? And you may know their story. You may not know their story. They may have a younger son type testimony. And so now they've gone the other way and they've said, listen, I've lived that way. I know what it's like. And it leads to nothing but death and destruction. So in our family, we're going to live like this. And what can happen sometimes, if you don't fully know the story, is you don't, you don't know why things are like that. But it might be they've, maybe they've flipped from being like the younger son to being more like the older son. And so today I want us to, I want us to redefine, so my, one of my greatest fears as a pastor is that we just flip between these two mindsets, older son, younger son, younger son, older son, and we miss the gospel entirely. 
Because what I hear sometimes, whenever students, you know, surrender to Jesus, at least initially, I have this great fear they're going to go from just being like the younger son to becoming like the older son. Or if they're already like the older son, they become even more like that once they become a Christian. So today I want us to redefine our understanding of sin, because whenever we hear the word sin, we think it's, kind of, it's the kind of things that younger son people do. So we're going to define it this way, and no, it's not the impact definition, not exactly. So we're going to define it this way. Sin is, I know you're going to say that, um, it's an attempt to find happiness apart from Christ. And there's two ways that people try to find happiness. One is keeping the rules. This is moral conformity. That's like the older son mindset. The other is by breaking the rules. That's self-discovery. That might be the younger son mindset. So the older son's doing the first. The younger son's doing the second. And sometimes people avoid Jesus by breaking the rules. That might seem obvious to us. But sometimes people avoid Jesus by trying to keep the rules. Now, you might think, well, how can you avoid Jesus by keeping the rules? That doesn't make sense to me. Here's how we do that. We might be living with an older son mentality, mindset, and not even realize it. And in doing so, we actually avoid even seeing our need for a Savior, even seeing our need for Jesus in the way that I think he wants us to see our need for him. So we might... We might obey God, not out of a a love for God, but so that we can put God in our debt. Or you might say it like we might have rights before God. And we do this in very, very subtle ways. If I obey God, then he will, you know, fill in the blank, do whatever I want him to do. So for me, where this really hits me and convicts me is when I think about suffering. And not just suffering in the, in the whole world sense, but when I think about things happening to my family, to me, to my wife, my kids, in a suffering way, that is when I know that'd be very, very difficult for me, as I know it would be for many of you and has been difficult for many of you. Because whenever we go through that kind of suffering, there is this sense or this feeling that, well, God, I've I've done a lot of things for you. I've done a lot of things the right way. How dare you cause me to go through suffering or make me suffer? And I know it sounds almost uncompassionate for us to say it like that, but that's where I get really convicted because I know that if certain things were to happen in my family to people I love that I'm close to, it'd be a real struggle for me. I would struggle with anger at God if those things were to happen. But I have to look, kind of peel back the layers of that and look at my own sin and say, well, why is that? Because, yeah, there's a certain sense in which I feel like I've lived a certain way, therefore I'm entitled to a certain kind of life. So if we seek to control God through our obedience, all of our good works and our morality is, is simply just our way of using God to make him give us what we want. And so the story of the, we've been looking at the last few weeks, it shows us that we can follow the rules but, but still be mistaken in how we approach God and the gospel, how we understand the gospel. So I don't mean, as I look at this again today, I don't mean to imply that if you struggle like I do with the older brother mindset, 
I'm not saying that you're not saved. This is not about that. I'm simply saying as you grow in the grace, in understanding the grace that God offers to you, your, your life is going to be a lifetime of you growing in the grace that he offers to you. I'm just simply trying to point out that our personalities tend to lean one way or the other when it comes to this particular story. Now, Psalm 138, verse 6, it says, The Lord cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. So, of course, outward sin has this way of keeping us from God, but good works done in pride or with prideful motives can also keep us from God and keep us from seeing our need for God, dependence upon him. So how is it? Well, because the proud, we don't, we don't see our need for him. We don't sense it as deeply. So where is the son in the story? Well, he's outside the party. Why is that? Because his relationship to the father has been driven by selfish motives. So do you see what's happened? Neither son loves the father for himself. Both use the father to get something else. Both are separated from the father, but they're separated in different ways. The younger son knows he's separated from him. People live out the younger son lifestyle. You don't have to convince them that something is wrong with their life. They already know it. They're aware of it. And that's what happens to the younger son. The older son mindset, he's not really aware of how he is, his relationship with the father isn't what it should be. Because they're, both, both sons are driven by these selfish motives, but they're living them out in different ways. So the older son lives under the same roof as the father, but he is still separated from him relationally because he's blind to all of it. So for those that are growing up in the church, like many of you are, we might be living under the same roof as Jesus, but still relationally far from him. So how do we know if we're, if we struggle, if we're like the older son in this way? So look back at Luke 15, 28, where it says, in reference to the older son, it says, but he was angry and he refused to go into the party. That's the older son. Of course, when Jesus says this, this is mirroring the anger and the grumbling of the Pharisees as he shows compassion and grace to the younger son types, the sinners, the tax collectors. And he says this, he, he points this out in the story as a mirror, holding up a mirror to the face of the Pharisees, saying, this is, this is you. This is the, you, you all are these people in the, you, you people are this person in the story. So how do we know if we're like the older son? I'm going to ask you some questions this morning that kind of help you just think through how do you know if you struggle with this mindset in your own walk with God? So the first question is, are we angry? Now, the uh, other day I was driving here from the church back to my house, and there's this uh, stop sign that I'm always kind of cautious because it's, people always, almost always get in wrecks at this one stop sign. And so I always err on the side of, you know the rules of stop sign, like if you're there first, you get to go, right? You have the right of way. But there's this one spot where seem, people seem to forget that rule, and so I just am fine letting people just, hey, go ahead. I don't care if I was here first. You're going to go. I don't want to cause an accident and ruin my car that's worth about $700, all right? So, um, so I go to the stop sign, and I'm, I'm, like, waving this guy through. And most of the time, people are fine. They just go on through. This guy, I'm being nice to this guy. This guy gets so angry at me. He gets out of his truck and starts pointing and yelling at me. 
because I'm being nice to him. And I'm like, okay, I'll go. It's fine, you know? And so I go on through. But I think about that. I'm like, I don't know what happened to that guy that day. Like, I just had a bad day. I'm not sure what, what took place that day. But are you someone that can be like that? Am I someone that can be that way? Someone that just has a short fuse sometimes. And if so, what are the things that, like, really get you angry? We talked last week about how the, young, the older son of the story, he gets angry that, that the father shows compassion and grace to the younger son. So we talked about that last week, how when, 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 when someone receives grace, does that make you angry? What about other things, though? If I were to ask you, what are the things that make you just, like, fuming angry? What are those things? What might those things be? If life doesn't go how you want, does it make you angry? Angry at the situation, angry at God possibly. Anger can, has this way of leading to deep bitterness sometimes. And the older son types believe if they live a good life, they're going to get a good life. They see their life as transactional. If I, if I do this, then God's going to give me this. You know, sometimes we blame anger on our circumstances. We say, well, you know, I wouldn't have gotten angry if this or that hadn't happened to me. But so often circumstances are just the, the pressure. I think of like when you squeeze a sponge, like of course water comes out. The circumstances are like the pressure being applied to that sponge. But what comes out of us is what was already in us. So the circumstances might bring those things out, but those things were already in you. Those things were already in me. It's simply just showing what is inside our hearts. Tim Keller writes, Older brothers' inability to handle suffering arises from the fact that their moral observance is results-oriented. The good life is lived not for delight in good deeds themselves, but as calculated ways to control their environment. Now, I know it's difficult to examine our motives all the time. But if we're going to follow Christ, we have to begin to, to look deeper at our sin. We have to allow God to examine us, to bring about conviction, so we can repent even of prideful motives as we do our good works. Next question, are we envious? Now, you might be envious of other believers. You might be envious of the unbeliever. It's very difficult whenever you're following Christ and you look at the life of an unbeliever and you might say, their life just seems to be working out a lot better than mine at this stage of my life. Why is that? After all I've done for God, why them and not me? I'm trying to live my life in purity, and yet they're the ones in the relationship that they seem to be having so much fun in. So why them and not me? Or if you're the one who's suffering, why me and not them? So what's really happening is that we are keeping score of our good works versus theirs. The older son does this in the story. He compares his good deeds to his brother's sin. He says to his, to his father, hey, listen, the, the scales are out of whack here. This doesn't make any sense. And so he envies the younger brother's reception by the father. The next question, are we forgiving? Whenever you and I feel like we are morally superior to someone else, 
it is very difficult to forgive someone if you feel like you're above them in some way. So the older son types, they rarely forgive, and if they do, it may not be real forgiveness. It can be a facade. It can be a show. Or even their forgiveness might be a way to control the other person. So do we bring up old baggage when it's convenient to make someone else feel guilty, remind them of a past event whenever it fits the moment so that they might feel guilty or feel like they are still indebted to you in some way. Older son types, they have this expectation that other people are going to forgive them, but they rarely offer that to other people. And whenever you and I don't forgive, we are saying that their sin is worse than our sin. Of course, when you reflect on the gospel, you have to wrestle with the question, how can how can we not forgive when, when so much has been forgiven of us? So are we forgiving? The next question is, do we believe that we are above certain sins? Older son types, they look at someone else's sin and they think, I would never do anything as bad as that. You know, we don't see ourselves as weak as other people. I'm reminded of Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, where it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, what that's referring to is when someone is caught in a sin, and the picture is like an animal that gets caught in a trap, and they're ensnared by sin. And and when sin comes into the light, and maybe other people in their community know about what's going on with them, and they... What, what the picture here is, is, is that those who are spiritual, this does not mean some elite, special force of Christians who don't have any problems in their life. That's not what this is about. But it is referring to someone who's maybe a bit further down the road in their faith than that person. You who are spiritual, come alongside this person, help them get untangled, help restore them to fellowship. And, but notice the last phrase. I've always been intrigued by this last phrase. Keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. Now, when we're helping to restore someone, what are some ways that we can be tempted? Well, there's two ways that I think about. We can be tempted like the younger son, because I've been in moments where someone's been confessing something to me that they're struggling with, and my brain can kind of go in two different directions with that. One direction is like the younger son, where I start to be intrigued and think, huh, what must that have been like to commit that sin? And you find yourself being tempted and allured or lured toward that particular sin. Or you can have the older brother mindset that says, wait, what? You did what? Like, I would would never do such a thing. And you say that inside your own heart, inside your own spirit. So I think Paul's warning here to keep watch on yourself when you're restoring someone else who's fallen into sin so that you're not tempted towards one of those two different mindsets. Or maybe you look at some of the sins of people in your school or certain groups of people in your school, whole categories of people, and you're thinking, I can't believe these people. But what's that really about? You know, we think our sin isn't as bad as theirs. When you approach, like, whole categories of people and you say, I can't believe what those people do. 
what is that really saying? It's like you're, in your mind, you're, you're, you're expecting someone who's not really a believer to act like a believer. And, and you might think to yourself, well, you know, if I was not a believer, I still wouldn't do that. I wouldn't be that bad. So we struggle with this. We struggle to see our sin as equal with someone else's sin. The next question, do we joyfully spend time with God? So what is your motive? What is my motive for spending time with God? Is it out of joy? Or is it just to cross it off of a list? You know, the thing that you're supposed to do, like, you know, eating your vegetables, you just, you don't really enjoy it. You just know you're supposed to do it. It's, it's good for you somehow. You're not really sure why or how, but you just know it is, so you just do it. I heard a guy named Jeremy Kingsley say this. He says, we don't read the Bible to finish. We read it to be changed. We go to the Word of God. We go to prayer so that God transforms us and changes us. We don't do it just to cross it off of a list. You know, I think of a, of a picture here. Whenever I Imagine if I were to go and, and, and take my wife or, or say, hey, let's go out on it. Let's have a date night like next Friday. And yes, guys, you should still date your wife whenever you're married. You should do that. But what if I said to her, yeah, I got this list of stuff I'm supposed to do and, you know, mow the grass, wash the car, balance the finance book. And it says here, I'm supposed to take you out on a date. So I guess we can plan that like next weekend. Does that work for you? What if I made, it, made her feel like it's just, I'm just crossing this off of a list. So, like, would that really, would that warm her heart towards me? Probably not, right? But the point is that we care about the relationship. The relationship is priority. And so the point of spending time with her is not to just cross it off of a list, but to get to know her, to ask her questions, to be curious about her life and where she's at. At a conference a while back, that I went to, a guy named Francis Chan, he asked this very simple question of pastors. He said, how is your intimacy with God? And it's a very simple question, but it was very convicting to me, and it still is to this day. Because one of the best ways to grow in our intimacy with God is to just simply be honest with him in your prayer life. You know, what are your fears? What are my fears? Pray those to him. Confess those things to him. What are you angry about? Confess those things to him. What are your real sins? I mean, God knows. Confess those things to him. And you'll find that this honesty, honestly, honesty leads to a greater intimacy with him in your relationship. I'll admit to you that, that I really struggle with this personally because in my role here, sometimes... I see God more as a subject to be studied than a person to be known. And I really struggle with that. Because at times I will go to the scriptures or go to other books and I'll read and I'll study and I, I think about, you know, how can I say this? What stories can I tell? What analogies can, what illustrations can I use to make the point come home? And I realize, wait, I'm just talking about like how to talk to them about God, like he's just some subject to be studied. But what about knowing him? What about knowing him in that way? 
I struggle with that. I know you struggle with that. Or it can be difficult for older son types to be honest with God because we're always trying to protect ourselves, protect our image, even with God for some reason. Even though we know God knows us and knows what's going on with us, we still have this layer of protection. We can't be totally blunt with God or honest with God because we just are always trying to protect something about ourselves. Or maybe if you're like me, you feel like you don't have much of a prayer life at all until you start suffering. And, and you, you might be in that place, possibly. But do we, do we joyfully spend time with God? The next question, do we obey out of joy or out of fear? So older son types, they, they live good lives externally, but it's usually motivated by fear and not joy. I think about uh, even as I... As, as parents in the room, as you try to shepherd and disciple your own kids, as we do the same thing in our house, I think about the reasons why if, 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 if your kid, like, tells a lie or, or tries to cheat, the kid will usually ask something like, you know, well, what's the big deal? Why? Why, why, why live that way? And as parents, we're tempted to say, you know, because at some point, you're going to get caught and you're going to have bad consequences. Well, that is true, what does it communicate to the kid. Well, it says, we're basically saying, obey, because in the end, things are going to go better for you. Now, that might be true, but is it teaching them to obey just out of the sheer joy of obedience? Because if the motivation to obey is simply just fear of long-term consequences, well, if we cheat and if we lie and we don't suffer those consequences, well, suddenly our motivation to obey is dissolved, Right? There needs to be this, this joy in obedience, even if we suffer for doing what's right. The whole book of 1 Peter up in the main service has been about how you're going to suffer for doing right. So there needs to be this joy, just sheer joy in obeying God, even if you suffer long-term consequences of doing the right thing. Or take, for example, you know, feeding and clothing those that are in need. What's our real motive in doing that as we do this, you know, food drive and gift drive here at TBC? Listen, we older son types, we do lots of good things, but with wrong motives sometimes. Again, Keller writes this, when they, meaning people like the older son, do good works, they are not really feeding the hungry and clothing the poor, they are feeding and clothing themselves. And this is a struggle that we all have as we do these kinds of things. This is truly convicting for us because the question you have to ask yourself is, do I truly care for the poor or do I serve just so I won't feel guilty? Now, some of you are going to hear what I'm saying, and the next time we give you a chance to serve, you're going to say, you know, I really want to serve, but my motives aren't right, so I guess I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to serve. Listen, that's a mistake as well. That doesn't mean you stop serving. You can still serve, and then repent of your motives. You can multitask. We can do this. For the older son types, if they approach good works with selfish motives, then good works end up becoming like a crushing burden. And it's usually why later in life, they might start living like the younger son. So someone can easily flip as they realize their whole elder son mentality collapses like a house of cards 
and they just say, you know what, I'm not living in that system anymore. They throw the whole thing off, and they start living like the younger son. Again, younger son types know they're lost, while older son types might not see how lost they really are. I think sometimes in the church, it can be the attitude of the older son types that can even create the younger son type behavior. Because let's just admit it. I mean, church, at, at church, we are really good at attracting older son type people, not so much younger son type people. We're good at running those people off. I think of a story a few years ago, and it was really crazy. I was, um, I would go to the gym in the mornings to, to work out before I come to the office up here, and um, there was a guy I'd talked to a few times, and we'd had a few conversations, nothing in depth, and one day I just asked him, like, where he's from, and he told me where he's from, and it was, a close, it was an area close to where my grandmother's from in Virginia, and it's a really small, and I was like, okay, my grandmother's from the same town that you're from, so that's, that's weird, and I, and I gave him, I said, would you happen to know any, and I said my grandmother's maiden name, and he goes, that's my last name, and I was like, whoa, like, you're probably related to me somehow distantly, right? And what are the chances of that? We began talking, and I said, so, hey, you know, I, I know you kind of grew up in this area of the country. Um, what's your faith background? And he says, I want no part of that. And I said, you must have grown up in this particular kind of church that I'm very aware of in that part of the state. And he said, yes, I grew up in that church, and I want no part of it because, and he began to describe for me many people he came across in his life in that church where they had the older brother mindset. Now listen, everyone struggles with sin. I'm not saying that it's totally everyone else's fault this guy's not a Christian. I'm not saying that. But I think that it plays a role when someone sees just the older brother mindset lived out in front of the world to see, that it has a way of, it can create younger son types that run away from the whole thing because of how we might carry ourselves and how in our understanding of this relationship with God. And in that conversation with him, I began to share with him just how, you know, listen, the things that you're talking about, things that you saw in your church growing up, and some of the hypocrisy, some of the legalism, I just said, listen, you know, I, I think Jesus agrees with you. He didn't like it either. I mean, look at, this, look at the Gospels. He didn't like, he didn't like what, you're, what you're describing either. So as we begin to point people to Christ, point people to the gospel. I think it's appropriate for you and I to say and agree and say, yes, let me show you the ways in which Jesus agrees with you. And I think this story is one of those examples of how we can say that because of what Jesus is, is, is saying to the Pharisees and the younger son types in this story. Now, most of us know that the gospel calls us away from the younger son lostness, but few realize it also condemns the older son attitude as well. So Jesus' whole point here is that both of these journeys are dead ends. But there's a third way that he wants for us, and we'll discuss that next week. So you guys are going to go to your breakouts here, and you're going to, let's see, if you're new here, don't know where to go. Freshman girls in that corner over there.